Welcome to Emerging Cricket Rewind, a retrospective series where we look back at some of the great moments in emerging cricket history. This time, we're travelling back 18 years to the 2003 Cricket World Cup in South Africa, where Namibia graced the world stage in their first major ICC event. Last time, we relived a tough run home in the group stage against both of the eventual finalists, with the Namibians caned by Sachin Tendulkar and bamboozled by Glenn McGrath, before they let their intensity slip in a flat performance against associate rivals the Netherlands. In this last episode of the series, we'll be hearing from Namibian cricketers past and present as they reflect on the legacy of the 2003 World Cup, as well as looking to the future for the current generation of the team. Despite finishing in South Africa without a win, Namibia's cricketers were far from empty-handed. They'd represented their nation with distinction at an African World Cup, arguably the most significant sporting event in their short national history, behind sprinter Frankie Frederick's four Olympic silver medals in the 90s. Upon their return to Vintuk, they received a hero's welcome, as recalled by men's and women's players Stephen Bard and Irene Fonsale. You know, for those guys, when they came back, everybody was, was so proud of them. I think they got a, a great welcome at the airport and all those kind of things. Namibia is a very small country. People are very patriotic. So for us, it was about being on the map and being seen on the map, you know. And even though there was a few disappointing results, we never saw it in that light. We always just saw it as, right, now we've got our foot in the door and we can always improve on that. You never expected them to beat Australia or England, a team like that. Uh, so it was um, a little bit of a disappointment, but it was more a question of being proud that the guys can actually partake in this event. They didn't just hop on the plane and get there. It was hours and hours and months of hard work that went into them actually playing on that big stage. But in the end of the day, it's all about being able to just, you know, be on that field against those great teams and soaking up so much of the atmosphere and whatever they bring up against you. So I don't think it was um, a question of being sad and disappointed. However, they did learn a lot from that. The efforts of 2003 remain an impressive achievement for a small cricketing nation with limited resources. And skipper Dion Kotzer wouldn't change a thing. First of all, I don't think we could have any regrets about the tournament as a whole. Yes, the disappointment of losing to Holland obviously was you know, was quite major. But even so, I don't think with the restricted resources that a country like Namibia has in all regards, you know, whether it's personnel, funding, all the rest of it, I think we prepared as well as we possibly could. You know, nothing other than playing at that level can really prepare you. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't think there were any regrets. 2003 team manager Francois Erasmus and coach at the tournament Dougie Brown are both proud of the side. You know, having played in the World Cup with not one single professional player was in itself a massive achievement to get there. And then to be competitive even against the best in the world in some of the matches. We were competitive for moments or stretches. I think that in itself also says a lot for the attitude of our players and the willingness to fight against all odds. Eventually we were just probably not there yet. You know, it was exceptional to take themselves from a starting point, which they, they had come from, turn themselves into athletes in a very short space of time, upskill themselves so that you know they didn't embarrass themselves on the world stage 
almost managed to win a, a match on the world stage against England and one or two of the players had exceptional days out. Still, the alluring question of what if shines brightly in the rearview mirror and looking back, the Namibians do sometimes wonder what might have been achieved if they'd had more opportunities at the top level or more access to the current development pathways which were just beginning to be put in place at the time of the 2003 World Cup. I think if the squad of the period 2000 to 2003, 2004 had similar exposure as the current squad had, playing more international T20 I cricket and playing some ODIs and also having played Intercontinental Cup, I think uh, that would have been the 2003 World Cup. It would have held them in good stead. But we did not have that exposure. We had a few games in the Standard Bank Cup and then we had a few games, you know, in the Castle Bowl, which was the provincial competition in South Africa. But... Besides that, our players were simply just overawed by the quality of those opposing sides. Stefan Bard is part of the subsequent generation of players who've benefited significantly from the ICC's increased commitment to development. I can I can understand. We've played against some top players over the years leading up to now, especially in South Africa, playing against top batsmen, bowlers. You know, guys that are playing for South Africa now that used to play for South Africa, and you realise that... There's so much more to learn from that if you're not exposed to that as much as those guys are. So if I look back now, those players had the privilege that we have now, you know, being more professional, having more training hours under the belt and all that kind of thing and being exposed to much more video analysis work that goes into it. I think it would have been a totally different story. And I think if those players had the opportunity to play in another World Cup four years later, it would have been a lot different as well. You know, if you look at most of the teams, associate teams, even top level um, test nations, that that's what happened to these teams over the years you know they got much more exposure and they just got a lot better um, and I think it would have been the exact same thing for the Namibian guys so you know we look back at those scores and those those results and you think to yourself well Namibia were not quite there but you know with a group of players those guys had I think it was probably one of the most legendary teams we ever had in our cricketing times in Namibia if you gave those guys another chance two years or three years later or four years later it would have been a lot different you know because a lot of them were very young very inexperienced um, very raw I would say so it would have been very interesting. So I would summarize the old World Cup experience, Nick, as one where a lot was learned, uh, a lot of experience was gained. Some of the guys retired after the World Cup. Some went on for a while and brought some of that experience back into local cricket. And overall, it was so positive. And as well as boosting Namibian cricket, Dougie Brown saw how the World Cup appearance had supercharged the personal game of players involved. I think a lot of the Namibian players on the back of that actually really started to dominate personally on the back of that World Cup experience. So, you know, with regards to it being an experience for everybody and a, and a really positive experience, as much as we didn't manage to, to win matches, it was very much a case of a learning curve for everybody. And people then understood what it was to be able to cut it at that level. And we saw a number of players, you know, Jerry Sneeman and Sarah Berger, JB Berger, a lot of these guys actually coming away from the tournament, turning themselves into unbelievably good players, and they continue to dominate associate member cricket for you know a whole bunch of time to come after that um, first opportunity in the 2003 World Cup. For Namibia's first, and until Herat Erasmus leads his team onto the field at this year's event, still only World Cup captain, the value of the experience was a little harder to put into words, and it was something that he only came to fully appreciate with the passage of time. In hindsight, and I've always felt this way after the tournament, a lot of it was actually slightly overwhelming to the point where afterwards I actually struggled to remember a lot of nice moments. And it's actually only as teammates afterwards have, have chatted about the stuff that they sort of came back to you. I, 
a lot of it was actually quite overwhelming. But then the dream was over, and it was back to the unglamorous everyday of associate cricket. For Dion Kotzer, that taste of the top level left him hungrier than ever to get Namibia back there. You know, coming back to Namibia, I, I never got the feeling, certainly I played for quite a long time still after that, and I never got the feeling that it was now sort of, we'd had this peak and now we were we had to come back to the, the daily grind. In fact, it would have been just about a year or so later after coming back that the next qualifier was there. And more than anything, I think it left the taste for guys to say, we had done this once, there should be no reason why we can't do it again. It was a good time for cricket in Namibia. The World Cup had boosted interest, and they even got visits from the full member sides touring South Africa, which kept enthusiasm amongst the next generation burning bright, as Stefan Bard and current skipper Gerard Erasmus both remember. And a year later, England turned up after the World Cup as well for a series before they headed to South Africa. And that's a series where uh, we saw Kevin Peterson for the first time as well, you know. So I think the World Cup sort of, even though no games were hosted in Namibia itself, uh, we kind of felt part of it in general because we had so much exposure in terms of teams coming to Namibia beforehand and afterwards that I think the guys were very thankful for that opportunity. So, yeah, one of my most memorable moments of that group of guys was actually after the 2003 World Cup when England came and toured Namibia. Then uh, they gave England a good run for their money at Wondrous Stadium uh, in Wintuk. And then after that, New Zealand also came and travelled Namibia. And I remember, still fondly remember Gary Sneeman, who, who I happened to play a lot of games with later on in my career. He scored 85 in one of the matches against New Zealand. And I remember him hitting a six over the side screen and the ball actually landed in the windscreen of our car and it uh, broke the windscreen and the ball landed inside the car. And my father had to go retrieve the ball. And he sent a message out onto the field to Harry himself that if he were to score 100 against New Zealand that day, he can have the car. <laughs> Unfortunately, he, he fell just short. But uh, those were some of my most memorable moments uh, watching those guys play. Um, and I mean, getting England and New Zealand to tour those years was something special for the small cricket fraternity in Namibia. Getting the likes of Brendan McCullum, Kevin Peterson actually just started. Um, those kind of names came to our own little town. <laughs> and uh, we, we started loving cricket that way. And I still remember watching some of those games with guys like Stephen Barth, who was my age. Uh, a year or two older than me, but uh, we, we enjoyed playing around those fields and that actually got us into cricket. But yeah, as I said, my memory is a bit hazed about the events themselves, but uh, the inspiration they gave us was definitely there. Other players around me definitely spoke about it. At school, we would definitely speak about how cool it was to see our players on, on TV. And there was a real buzz for about two or three years after the World Cup in Namibia. And the teams like England and New Zealand uh, toured Namibia. And yeah, their legacy really stood for a few years. But despite the highlight of a home Intercontinental Cup final in 2008, they never quite reached the same peaks again. And the best efforts of a passionate and committed cricket scene couldn't stop the local enthusiasm from waning slightly, as performances on the field did begin to dip. I think after that, the, the effects weren't as great. And I think the other associate nations really put a gap between us and themselves. So from about 2006 onwards, yeah, whether that was finances or whatever it was, I'm not too sure. It was a case of always the bridesmaids over the next decade or so, with a series of narrow misses and underperformances at qualifying tournaments, including two separate instances at the World T20 qualifiers where they topped their group before choking in the knockout stages. 
the 2005 to 2014 period i'd say i don't think they did many things wrong i just think we didn't have the cutting edge when it came to tournament cricket we didn't have the kind of i would say savvy about us as a team to get over the line in important games we definitely had the players uh, we showed that in previous d20 qualifiers as well guys like Alpha Finavistas and just rocking the tournament Craig Williams was constantly performing we definitely had the players we beat Ireland we beat lots of big teams in these tournaments but then just came up short most of the time so I think what definitely is being do- done differently over this last two-year period is that we have a strong culture to hold on to it carries us through when when time are tough and when games are close then it just gives us a cutting edge and I really do think that's why we've managed to gain the ODI status last year in 2019 and then to qualify for the World Cup. So, Francois Erasmus traces much of the slide back to Namibia's failure to qualify for the 2007 World Cup. I would have hoped that in the 2007 World Cup, if Namibia had only qualified for that, I think some of that momentum would have been carried forward. But our disappointing performance in 2006 in uh, Ireland, not qualifying for the next World Cup, I believe that was a major setback for cricket in Namibia. And some of the momentum was definitely lost. Some of the growth might have been um, stemmed by the failure to qualify for the next World Cup and obviously then also for the next two thereafter. So, um, yes, many disappointments followed that World Cup. And uh, there was, for a period of a decade, players were involved in several attempts to qualify for 50 over and T20 World Cups and failed. And I believe that is, uh, was a dark period for, for cricket in Namibia because it wasn't always a lack of effort, but there appeared to be something maybe in the psyche of a post-2003 World Cup cricket, which uh, resulted in a few disappointing performances at crucial moments, which cost Namibia participation in the, in the following World Cups. Veteran left-arm spinner Lenny Lowe, who bowed out at the 2003 World Cup after more than 25 years of top-level cricket in Namibia and South Africa before it, sees the slump in the broader historical context of the usual rise and fall of sporting fortunes. It's typical of uh, you know, what often happens in a case like this. There was so much excitement about qualifying for the World Cup, playing in the World Cup, and then it was just natural that there would be a dip afterwards because where to... From there, you know, as a largely amateur group of players, a number of us retired after the World Cup. And there was still the, the same financial constraints as, as before. So it was almost natural that things would move sideways for a while. And um, it was only recently that really there came strong professional approach again in Namibian cricket with strong leadership, with uh, strong coaches getting involved, experienced coaches. And that, that led to quite a revival in terms of Namibia getting ODI status, qualifying for the T20 World Cup. So after a, quite a, a long period of a dip in our cricket after the 2003 World Cup, there's certainly a lot more happening now. We, we, we moved up a couple of notches again in terms of achieving, and I think there's a lot to look forward to as we stand for Namibian cricket. In attempting to arrest the slide and re-energise Namibia's fortunes in associate cricket, the influence of the 2003 team lived on in the dressing room and was a touchstone for the new group of players attempting to break out of the doldrums.
I think the legacy, it is there. There is a long-lasting legacy in that team. The guys still stayed involved after the 2003 World Cup. Lots of them played club cricket and young guys like myself and Stephen Bart and Picky Franz, all those guys would have rubbed shoulders with many of those players somewhere in club cricket. In coaching capacities, they've stayed involved. The guy like Saro Berger was my captain when I played most of my last five, five years of cricket. Uh, he's continued to be a selector in the national setup. So these guys really do have a long-lasting legacy and hopefully we can also create our own one and uh, carry on what they have created i think they really have started cricket in namibia they have set the base in between for my liking it was probably a bit too long that that we haven't managed to build on that so hopefully this team can uh, pick it up again then came the breakthrough year of 2019 as they won the final edition of world cricket league 2 at home in vintuk and qualified for odi status within the new cricket world cup league 2 structure The victory included a 151-run demolition of Hong Kong, which won them the ICC Development Award for Best Men's Associate Performance. Namibia then followed with a triumph at the T20 World Cup qualifiers in the UAE, and for Erasmus, it feels like they're finally picking up the torch again, with Namibia's cricket on the rise. Um, I guess so. I think this is obviously the, the first major achievement in international cricket since the 2003 World Cup, so... I definitely think there is a, a onus on us to pick up the torch again. Um, this team has the ability to do that. They also have the, the culture to do it. There's a lot of similarities between this team that we have currently and the one that we had in 2003. And as I alluded to earlier, one of the, the, the similarities really is the culture that this team has. Uh, the 2003 team had a brilliant culture. They had brilliant um, cricket minds. They had brilliant guys with very good ethos. And I think this team that we have currently as well have guys that really want to work hard, that want to make the best of their abilities. So we really do work uh, within our limits. Um, We really do work very hard to achieve big results from limited resources, small groups of players. And I think that's what the 2003 team also had to do. So we're hoping to do that in the T20 World Cup. Having made his debut during Namibia's less successful period, Stefan Bard can see firsthand the improved systems that Namibia's on-field success has allowed them to invest in, which in turn has helped them to improve their cricket even more. In general, cricket in Namibia has just become um, much more professional over the years, especially the last 12 months. But it, it's been a hard fight over the years, you know, looking back when I started playing up until now, the amount of changes that came in, the amount of things that we needed to change to change our culture and our approach. You know, most most of the time the cricket in Namibia has been involved in, to, in the top tier cricket. It's been a semi-professional sort of setup where guys had to sort of work full-time and play part-time. And over the years, it's changed a lot more where a lot of guys are playing full-time and working part-time. And I think it's been, that's where sort of it's changed, you know, gaining ODI status about 12 months ago was the big turn around I think we had the opportunity to contract a lot more players be more professional you know getting people in to help us on the side not only coaches and assistant coaches but you know things like SNC coaches nutritionists um, and all those type of things who are all playing their part to making the, the system and the culture much more professional but over the years we we sort of put those things in place one by one you know where the, the one area struggled a bit and then the other one grew and then went the other way um, and I think when it comes to associate cricket most of the team have that struggle up until a point where they are financially sound enough to make it much more professional but uh, I think most associate cricket teams do struggle with that I think that is the biggest fight but I think the biggest thing that we have done is the professional approach to how we do things you know our training our preparation um, how we go into tournaments how we not only increase the intensity of our training but also how we recover and all those type of things you know so it, it took a few years and if I look back now we've gained massive steps but um, it took little baby steps to get to where we are now 
With Erasmus following in Kotz's footsteps in taking Namibia to a World Cup, he's learnt a lot from the 2003 generation about building a successful team environment. Speaking now, I really look up to those guys because trying to create a, a team culture myself as captain is something that we are striving for with the current team. And that's why we invite the 2003 team to many of our social events. We love to feed off their experiences. We love to feed off their uh, knowledge of the game and the way they see a team and the way they see tournament cricket. So it's been really cool to chat to them again. And uh, guys like Gavin Murgatroyd, those type of players are really um, inspirational guys to the current team still. So definitely a lasting effect of, of that World Cup team. The stars of 2003, meanwhile, can see the progress being made and remain proud of their achievements in building the foundation for today's success. In the last 17 years or so, even with the normal ups and downs, I suppose, that all countries experience, there's absolutely no doubt that the guys now in all departments, whether it's um, in management, the administration of the game and the playing side of it, they are vastly more professional. You know, they train harder, they are fitter, they eat better, they probably drink fewer beers than what we did at that stage. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, there's no no doubt at all. I've been involved as a member of the cricket board in Namibia for the last year or two, and there's no doubt these guys are on a completely different level to what we are, and, and that showed in the fact that they managed in times that are now much tougher to qualify for any of these tournaments. Namibia managed to qualify, as you know, for the T20 World Cup. Um, the, for them to have done that and the opposition that they had to do it against just shows how much more professional these guys are. And I think that is all sort of uh, because of the legacy that was left um, by the qualification in 2003. Yeah, I think um, what Dion said is, is so true in terms of the professionalism in which uh, Namibia cricket or cricket Namibia is operating at the moment, and and that showed in the in the results that came through. I mean, qualifying for the T20 tournament is fantastic. I mean, for a country like Namibia. So, um, and as Dion said, I I would think that still today people look up to us, you know, as having been one of those guys that played in the World Cup and to aspire to do the same. Uh, I mean, and that is the ultimate goal. Uh, as a professional sportsman is to represent your country on the biggest stage. So, yeah, from that point of view, definitely, I think a legacy was left by the 2003 team and through, you know, involvement by, for instance, Dion and Rudy, who's now, I think, is the um, chairman chairman of the board and president of the board and, and Dion, who's on the board and putting back into cricket what, you know, what cricket gave to them. And as a national ladies player, Irene van Sale makes the point about how important a 2003 moment could be for the women's game in Namibia, which is still at an early stage of development, though a recently formed recreational league is aiming to grow the playing base. With only 8 and 10 slots available at the women's 50 and 20 over World Cups, opportunities with an associate cricket are even scarcer than in the men's game. You put in a lot and a lot of effort goes into training and being away from home, from your work, from your studies to play the sport that you love. But obviously a moment like a 2003 World Cup, if the woman can have something like that, it would obviously open the eyes of, of ladies and women in the country, I think, to show what can be done. Obviously hard work is, is a big important aspect, but also again, if some funding is available, if, if one or two girls can be contracted, 
accepted, it would obviously mean quite a lot for the team when you have a few players that um, can really be match winners. Um, you just feel that sometimes there is a bit of a, a lack with these resources and also in terms of um, training resources where obviously your men get a little bit more exposure than, than the ladies do. But it would definitely have an impact on the women's game. Things like even the, the, the World Cup that was now in, in Australia, the women's T20, um, just to, to see how that global event um, changes women's perspective in terms of cricket worldwide, then um, you already see that it's, it's not just a men's game anymore. The World Cup of 2003 is something of a time capsule. It's a reminder of a more optimistic time in global cricket, when the governing body was overcome with an evangelical zeal for spreading the game, and a visionary named Bob Woolmer was handed a blank canvas and a checkbook and told to grow the game. For those who experienced it in Namibia, both as players and as spectators, it formed a cultural touchstone within the close cricketing family of the small African nation, barely a decade into independence, a celebration of their place within the game, a reminder of what could be achieved with a little talent and a lot of hard work, and an inspiration for the next generation of players during an era of modest returns. And in a time when smaller cricketing nations are being forced to justify both their existence and participation in global tournaments, the long-lasting positive impact of Namibia's 2003 adventure presents a compelling defence of their continued involvement at the top table. It's a subject that gets everyone in associate cricket fired up, and Bard and Erasmus are no exception. Uh, That's a very good question, and I I love discussing that question because... As a um, associate player, we get that question a lot. And and I always refer back to the same thing. I look back at um, teams like Bangladesh, who are thinking back to 1996 and 99, 2003. They were a team, you know, a walkover team, if I can put it that way, in all respects. You know, one of the teams you wanted to play because it was a sure win. Where if you look at them now, 17, 20 years later, it's a completely different story. You know, they... They're always in the top five, top six teams, always get to the semi-final. You know, the under-19s have just won the under-19 World Cup. So then you think to yourself, there's so much more coming from teams like that and nations like that. And it's the same with teams like Afghanistan, uh, Scotland, Ireland, um, and these sorts of teams, you know. There are a lot of up-and-coming teams like Nepal and the USA, where a lot of players, some of the players have played, you know, in the IPL, Big Bash, they've played in the Canada Global T20 Series. So the guys are getting so much more exposure. And I think, you know, a lot of these teams, of course, they will struggle. Um, Another team to think about is the Netherlands. The Netherlands have caused a lot of upsets as well, you know, in these global tournaments. And they're only getting better, these teams. You know, they're getting a lot more professional. Guys are getting a lot more exposure, playing in different tournaments and, you know, counties around the world. So my opinion is, look, these teams will struggle most of the time when they get there of course they will because that level of intensity and professionalism is something that they need a you know they need to experience to understand it it's it's like with anything you do in the world doesn't matter if it's sports or if it's a job or whatever the case might be you need that exposure first to understand where you need to be you know so of course a lot of people would say it's a waste of time but i mean if you look at football tournaments uh, rugby tournaments around the world the smallest sides have caused so much more upsets in the last 10 years than they had 100 years before that because of the amount of exposure they got so i think that's my feedback for cricket as well those little teams smaller sides for them it's a massive privilege and it's a massive thing to be there and because of that normally those guys go out fighting and you never know um there's always one or two guys that can change their whole careers through performances and world cups like that so it's not only about a team thing but it can be about a few individuals changing the the course of their careers i look at guys like ryan tender scott comes to mind you know he's he, he went from someone that wasn't quite well known in in global cricket to having one great World Cup and there he, he goes to the IPL 
plays county cricket for many years, you know, and he's an established cricket player, our household name, you know. So there's a lot of positives that come from it. Yes, there will be frustrations along the way. Oh, a lot of people will think, well, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money. But what people need to understand is that people get better. If there's more exposure to more people around the world, the game will grow. The interest will grow. And if things like that grow, I mean, performances will increase, competitiveness will increase. And in the long term, that's exactly what you want. Because if you look short term, the game will die out and teams will die out and it'll become like uh, there'll be less players uh, and less teams that will that are competing because people will lose interest. So I think in the long term, if you get more and more involved, you mean the game will grow and the competitiveness will grow. And at the end of the day, that's exactly what we want. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of the, the critics that say that smaller nations don't belong in, in World Cups because I, I just don't know how anyone can't get that it's a better idea to spread the game to the whole world. I mean, all other sport codes do it. So I don't, I don't understand anyone arguing that we shouldn't develop a game. I mean, more countries that play, the more quality cricket we can get, the more... I guess in that way you can touch more people and influence more people and get more people to be active and play sport. But yeah, I, I don't think the arguments, strong arguments are really that they say it's never win or it's a waste of time. I just, to be honest, it's probably um, money talks, but I think there's a, there, there needs to be a bigger picture around getting smaller countries, more countries to play the game. Uh, we've seen the last few years uh, the likes of Afghanistan getting into full member status and now having so many more fans exposed to um, full member cricket. That's really cool. And uh, if over the next 10 years we could add another few countries to cricket's wide web, then that is surely advantageous to everyone. So I think it's pretty obvious in my mind that more people need to play the game we love in order for it to become more successful. So... It's a pretty clear-cut answer for me. But we'll give the final word to Gerrit's dad, Francois, who's seen Namibian cricket come a long way since they took those first steps to qualifying for the World Cup. Just as a last thought, just think for yourself. We pitched up in Canada with Lenny Lowe as a player coach and myself as the manager. That was it. No official coach, no physios, nothing. It was the two of us and 14 or 15 players that was it and uh, from where we were in those days until where we can today at least have a full-time national coach consultants to the coach national high performance coach an academy for boys and girls um, i think cricket in Namibia is in a good space and i look forward to what is going to happen in the next few years This Rewind podcast is a production of Emerging Cricket, written, hosted and edited by Nick Skinner. Special thanks go to the ICC and Rob Moody, also known as Rob Alinda, for the archival audio, as well as Dougie Brown and all the Namibians who kindly shared their recollections. Dion Kotzer, Dani Kilder, Francois Erasmus, Lenny Lowe, Irene Fonseil, Gerrit Erasmus and Stefan Bard. For more leading coverage of the game outside its traditional centres, head to EmergingCricket.com or subscribe to the weekly Emerging Cricket podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
If you'd like to chip in to support us financially in producing more high-quality content, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash emergingcricket. That's patron, spelt P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash emergingcricket.